Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to improving the lives of America's veterans, first responders, and their families. For over 20 years, the foundation has helped America keep its solemn promise to never forget. Tunnel to Towers provides mortgage-free homes to Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders with young children and builds specially adapted smart homes for catastrophically injured veterans, as well as work to eradicate veteran homelessness. David Marshall served in the Army during World War II and fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He's never forgotten the sacrifices of his comrades in arms, nor the efforts of first responders on 9-11 and in the days and months that followed. He is a loyal and proud Foundation donor. Tunnel to Towers is committed to supporting veterans, first responders, and their families, and so many of them need your help. Join the Foundation on its mission to do good and never forget. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. On this episode, we have Bridget Ziegler with us. She is a vice president at the Leadership Institute. She is a school board superstar. She'll explain what that means and also has some other interesting projects uh, that she's going to talk to you about in the realm of how we get parents more involved in their children's education how we stop the woke madness in schools uh lots of stuff like that bridget welcome great to have you thank you thank you for having me now there's no shortage of conversations around education right now (laughs) so tell me this tell everybody your story quickly because you're you're a school board what are you now president like how did you get into this game because you're in florida Ron DeSantis himself, I believe, endorsed you for school board, which was pretty cool. And this has become a big movement among conservatives more broadly that there are parents who are just like, I'm taking action here. What happened with you? Yeah, so mine kind of goes back a little bit farther back. Uh, 2014, I have three girls now, ages uh, four, 
seven and 10. My oldest was only eight months old. My husband's pretty active in politics and I did a lot of nonprofit work, but worked in corporate insurance. And there was a vacancy and I remember he was like, you should run for school board. And I thought he was insane. Uh, but you know, when you're raising a family and you realize that education plays such a pivotal role in their uh, trajectory and you looked at the school board, there was no one there with young kids. So I stepped off the ledge. Um, there was a vacancy. So I did apply for the appointment. Uh, gov governor then, Senator Rick Scott, but former governor, uh, did appoint me. And then that elevated the polarization. But I, you know, I came out and just said, I was a novice. I, I didn't work in education. I was a mom. I was a business person and um, believed in things like school choice and accountability and, and wanting high quality education for every person, no matter what your zip code was. Um, that's a four letter word in the world of education and particularly for unions. And so they had a field day uh, going uh, after me. But you know what? I would tell everyone in a lot of the stuff that I do in the training is that there's a lot of ways people can talk your, you can talk yourself out of things. Um, you know, we're risk adverse as human beings. Uh, and, but uh, you will surprise yourself when you step off that ledge, especially when you're focused on fighting for your kids and fighting for the future generation. So um, I got elected by one, less than 1% uh, my first election and uh, was elected in 2018. And then my last election, uh, the most recent one in 2022, uh, by 16%. So it's been, it was a good, good election year for us. But um, what I saw was alarming. A lot of um, just people who are incredibly out of touch as public servants. And I think I saw that early on as a board member, but so what people experienced during COVID and they went to petition their government or ask their elected officials for help as parents and were met with disdain, that has been going on for a really long time. And um, through that, I, I found myself in the midst of the gender ideology fight, although I didn't know that that's what it was. It was just a, 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 a guidelines that came about around 2017. And I had a provision in it that said it was up to the student, the student alone, uh, to determine their pronoun and what facilities they'd use and had very explicit language in there that prohibited staff from including parents in these discussions. And I just thought that was crazy. So that's when I said my hair was went on fire and I worked with our state legislature to draft the Parents' Bill of Rights in Florida. And it took us three legislative sessions to pass, but nothing worked at the local level. No one was interested in really looking at protecting the role of a family and the role of parents. And, and um, as a conservative, I believe that parents and families are really ultimately more important than the government. I think that's what we all believe in as conservatives. And it's sad to see how our uh, public education system has really devolved into what we're seeing today, which is activism centers. So, that's just a blip of my conversation. No, <laughs> I mean, no, sure, sure. There, so yeah. <laughs> I think uh, one one area of this where everyone gets really... Uh, it gets very heated very quickly. You have the, the the national Democrat narrative right now is that books are being banned in Florida. And then I see what happened at that press conference with Ron DeSantis and the kind of material that is being banned. And I got a lot of questions. But you've dealt with this directly on the school board. And I know that you're also working uh, with other folks to try to address this issue. What do people need to know? Like what's actually in some of the school curriculum and in the school libraries for kids that is objectionable? It's it's so I usually have them right next to me and I'm sorry I don't because I could flip to the pages because we're at the point where if you think back a couple of years ago, being called a racist was like the worst thing, but now it's overused, but it really shut down the conversation. Then it was bigot, 
transphobic, all those book banner is now that new buzzword, if that makes sense. And it's shutting down the conversation because it triggers people. And even conservatives are like, oh, you guys need to stay away from this (laughs) book banning. And I'm like, no, we're we're vetting material. Whether it's explicit pornographic videos, we wouldn't be okay with that. You're not okay with it when it's a book. And I don't think people would really believe us until we show it. And so we recommend when we talk to people across the country is don't, it's, it's not, it, it's, you have to show to Intel. And so that, cause it doesn't do it justice for me to explain it today. So as much as I don't want to give the publishers more money, maybe like go buy gender queer, go buy a book called choked that we just recently found, go buy farm boy. I mean, go buy this book is gay, go buy. It's perfectly normal. And you have, that's a book for 48 year olds that talks about very detailed, explicit penetration details for a four and eight year old. Uh, you have gender queer. They have pictures in a cartoon esque aspect, but that shows people in very explicit sexual acts. T- and, and they're minors, and they're they're characters of minors in explicit sexual acts with sexual toys. And I I just I don't know what world that's acceptable ever. And and what I do as a board member because I am I'm chair of my school board, and we are you know I, I'm at the point because the book banning has triggered people to shut down the conversation. So no one's asking what books are we talking about. They just hear book ban and they say oh that's bad. Well no, this material is bad, and I want someone to defend this material. And to your point, when Governor DeSantis had a press conference, the irony when we have th- that he tries to illustrate it and show the pictures and the images, and the, the um, various outlets had to shut it down because they would have been fined. Um, but it's okay for our kids. I mean, we really have to to have a gut check here as a as a society. Um, and I would rather be called a book banner all day long and know I'm fighting for our children's innocence. And I know that there's a diverse set of community members and beliefs that we serve as a public education institution, but as an elected official, it is our job to make sure that we're vetting materials so that it's appropriate for all families of all backgrounds, of all beliefs, and that we're focused on educating our children, not providing any of this material, which there's no justification whatsoever for it. Uh, That's what I wanted to ask you. Who who is in favor of this? Like when when you're dealing with the, removing this stuff from the curriculum, is it uh, school you know school principals who are saying no, we think this should be included, or is it activists who don't even necessarily live in your area or even the state of Florida who are saying how dare you? Like it, it seems like this is one of those issues where it there's a huge amount of of noise from the opposition that wants these books to be there. But I never see, like, I've never seen anyone go on TV and be like, yeah, this book with this photo for kids, totally legit. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Well, and I think that's a really good point. And I'm at that point. So stay tuned. I may have to follow up at an upcoming school board meeting where I'm going to have to showcase this is what we're talking about. So you have to defend this, Mr. or Mrs. School Board member who wants to keep it in or activists because there are a lot of people within our education system who are amazing people. They, they're, they're very strong beliefs and, and, and want to preserve high quality literature. We're not talking about classics, right? We're not, people always like to bring up, oh, Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn. Yes, years ago, those were challenged books. You have Toni Morrison books, which at a high school level, there's an argument about, is it more explicit? Does it have literary context? But the ones we're talking about are being targeted towards elementary and middle. Uh, even if it's high school, they're so explicit on sexual acts that they don't have any literary value. They aren't classical novels that have stood the test of time. These are explicit 
I mean, I think someone used Playboy or some other magazine. I said, I, I don't know. I have to argue. I don't know. I don't know what's in it, but I think these might be worse. And the worst part is, is they're, they're, they're detailing younger kids and that's even more alarming. So you got to, if it was an act, if it wasn't a drawing and it was a picture, that person, you'd be in jail. No, no doubt about it. it. It would be child pornography. And so that is, again, we have to understand why are they utilizing this? And so there are people that are in the, the education aspect who are worried about it going down the path of you know, literary classics that in the past decades ago that were challenged for racial issues. But instead, no one's talking about these ones. And that's why people like myself and people like in Moms for Liberty and even Ron DeSantis or any other parent groups across the country are actually reading the books but getting shut down. And then no one's actually going the next step of saying, so why is it okay to have that one? And so one of, is, I'm an elected school board member. I have the unique ability of the bully pulpit, I suppose. And, and if this continues, I think we're just going to have to force a conversation at the dais and make people defend these items being in there uh, versus the other way around. I mean, I, so you're a school board member. You're also a mom. Um, why do you think people want these books in there? I mean, honestly, like the, so, someone clearly does because there's a huge, or, or yeah. are they, is it more that they're pretending they want these books there so that they can talk about the book ban more broadly and, and use it as a political smear or, or, you know, who, who, if anyone wants this stuff to be there for kids, I, again, it brings me back to, I've never heard anyone make the case for any of these books, but they just want to say you guys are book book burners, basically book banning. Right. Well, and I think there's an important context is that seemingly every, every time, not just in my district, but I follow these cases across the country pretty well. No one can find out who put them in ever. Doesn't I mean never? Even in my district, we had to have a whole workshop. I said, well, I, "What's the process? How? What's the selection process?" And this is before the legislation came down that everyone got went bananas and in Florida thinking that Ron DeSantis is banning books, and it was merely just right. adding, elevating the vetting process and accountability because we couldn't find out who put these in. But the aspect is that's important to note is when you have it, it's very important from a policymaking standpoint to keep them out. Because then you deal with a litany of uh, First Amendment challenges because there is a Supreme Court precedent about First Amendment, although I, I argue that maybe it's time for this to be revisited because we're talking about a very different aspect of um, literature. It's not even literature, but they reference that. And so then the, the risk of legal challenges is what oftentimes causes people to shut down. And it comes down to we have a, you know, parental rights, which I'm a big advocate of. I have people on the left, uh, or I say radical left. They're not, I mean, they're not, they're on the, just on the fringe where it's that, no, you can't tell us what we select for our child. And I'm, I said, no, yes, I, I can. I was elected by the community for, and one of my jobs is creating policy to put guardrails in place. If you don't want me, you can vote me out the next time, but I will have no problem defending that. And I think if people want to challenge and support this disgusting filth being in our K-12 for minor children's schools, then I say we need to bring it on. We need to allow these challenges to take place and not be scared about it. Bridget, I know you're following some of these school battles elsewhere across the country. I want to ask you to tell us about a really very disturbing case uh, that I know you're following out of Texas, uh, Plainview ISD school and what happened there. Uh, I think parents across the country need to, need to know about what's happening in some of these schools. So we'll come back to that in a second. Um, but first, a word from our sponsor here, MyPillow. I love all the MyPillow products, everybody. They're amazing. The Giza Dream Sheets, for me, are the one that got me hooked. I mean, yeah, usually it's the pillow for people, uh, but also the slippers, the sheets. There's amazing stuff out there. 
you got to change your sheets every couple of years. People forget this. They think, oh, my sheets are 10 years old. That means you're not getting a good night's sleep. Not the way you could. Get Giza Dream Sheets. They're coming in as low as $29.98 with promo code BUCK. Remember, MyPillow products come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener special square, check out the flash sale on the Giza Dream Sheets. When you click on the square, you'll also find deals on other MyPillow products. So just go to MyPillow.com, use promo code BUCK at checkout. You can get the Giza Dream Sheets for $29.98. I have them on my bed right now. They are amazing. Um, all right. Bridget, back to the task at hand here. Uh, we are talking about what happens at some of these other schools. I, I think very few people right now listening know the story of what happened at Plainview ISD. So would you just tell us what happened and then we can discuss how something like this could happen? Well, to be fair, there's still a lot of outstanding information. But what happened, there was an incident that occurred as far back as mid-April, so a couple weeks ago. Um, and we're talking about that impacted a uh, elementary youth lower, I think it was a first grade, I'm sorry, it was kindergarten. And it was where there were two children the ages of six that a six-year-old was forced to perform a sexual act on another child. And there is a video of it, which has been, uh, uh, and I don't know who took the video. I don't know if it was another child, another student, um, but that, but there was a teacher at least present. Um, they say they weren't supervising. So they, they, the current claim is that they didn't see it. Um, it's been presented to child protective services and there's an investigation going on. But what happened is, and this is so often what I find is in a mistake of bureaucracies, but particularly in the education institutions, is that there was no communication. And yes, you have to protect privacies of a of, of myriad of people and any kind of incident that occurs at a school. But what didn't happen is there's a commonly there's a lot of sweeping under the rug because people don't want bad press. School districts don't want bad press. But the, these things come out every single time. And so what what would happen was the cover up ended up being I don't know if it's worse than the crime. This is pretty atrocious. But it was a lot of no answers and to the point where parents organized rightfully so because it started to get out there that there was a video someone has the video my understanding is i don't know if it's been shared because again there's a whole litany of, of child pornography issues that hopefully that that wasn't shared um making you know exempt you know exacerbating the the victim even more but what happened was the ed, the, the the district didn't do any kind of response or any kind of outreach even allegedly to the family or the, the family that was involved with the child until um, it got out there that this occurred and then there was limited information. What happened is the parents organized to the point where they had no answers and they had to cancel school. And when I read that, that's that's pretty extraordinary where you have a school fully shut down, but it, it seems that there was such a lack of transparency and accountability that at some level to the superintendent that they chose to shut down the school to investigate um, which again just shows the lack of systems for that to even happen is atrocious and it, again, Kind of spins off of what we're talking about, um, what our children and the environment they're learning and reading and, and, and exposed to, that that would even ever happen is heartbreaking. And as a mother of a, like I said, of a four, seven and 10 year old, and this is, these are the kind of things that we want to fight deeply against to make sure that they're not exposed to these kind of things so that that never presents itself as a situation. It's disgusting. When you're seeing, when you're seeing the um, obvious shortcomings, failures, um, irresponsible or even catastrophic uh, failure like what we're talking about here from some of the from some of the schools. Is it just that there's a, a 
is it a bureaucracy of no accountability? Is it the teachers unions? Like what, what when you find this, there are school districts where kids are either not as safe as they should be or being taught stuff that's completely inappropriate for them um, or or even just where the school is dramatically underperforming what it should relative to the resources available to it. What do you find are generally the problems? The main problems. So it's there accountability and lack of systems. I mean, and and yes, the union plays a a role in it, uh, but it's easy to try to make them the scapegoat. Listen, we know what the union's role is. We their job is to try to protect protect the environment and ultimately just keep getting more money, more dues. Um, That's their job. I mean, don't make no mistake. They're not elected officials. They they should not have an equal seat at the table like I and they do at every almost every district. But at the end of the day, elected officials, school board members have a lot more authority than they're willing than 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 they're than they're actually um, invoking at this point. And they need to find superintendents that have a backbone that are going to hold, put those systems in place and work with uh, the school board if there's a good school board in place. I mean, the problem is that so many people are captured or they're warm bodies and they don't want, they think it's a ceremonial job. This is not a ceremonial job. We are, there's a battle right now being waged in our public education systems, make no mistake. And um, we need people who are, who have grit and who are willing to ask the tough questions and sit against the firing squad and not, not cave um, because it, people what happens is they get worn down and then they leave and then the the radical left who's been overseeing our education system for decades just wears out that clock um but parents and concerned citizens seriously need to take need to take it seriously and need to fight back but i think it comes down to understanding where the levers are how much authority public education school i'm sorry local school boards have they have a lot a lot they can change and rip up the the contract um, again, you have to have a majority to do that, but there's a lot more that can be done at the local level. There's a lot of finger pointing. And meanwhile, our kids are not you know, able to proficiently read at a third grade level and they're, they're graduating. So um, we as a community and society need to see, stop the blame shift and see what we can do to change course correct. Um, we're talking about decades worth of, of bureaucracy, bad processes, corruption, special interests. I mean, I could go on. There are a lot of buzzwords. Big money. We're talking billions and billions of dollars. You have organizations like, you know, the Democrat Party, the union, the NEA, F- uh, what is it? The AF, wait, the NEA and AFT. AFT. Yep. And, yeah. And then you have pa- Planned Parenthood, who has been at the front and center of a lot of this uh, sexual education curriculum for for almost 100 years, human rights campaign playing a huge role in providing sample draft policies that are you know, playing at the, at the forefront of the separation between parents and their children um, about you know, withholding information. So a lot of bad actors. And then you have a whole new litany on the, you know, the whole ESG data collecting standpoint. So local, educate, like local school boards are elected at the local level. They're closest to the people that they serve and protect. That is where the most direct accountability can take place if people are paying attention and they're willing to fight for it. And a lot of change can occur. A lot. I want to ask you about the change in perception that you've seen among parents. Uh, you mentioned the AFT. I think that's Randy Weingarten's outfit, right? I call her the chief education commissar. I don't think I don't think she likes me very much. She, I've, I've made a lot of noise about how awful she is. And I mean it. I think she's have really you invited awful. her on your show? Um, oh, she will not. We've, we wanted her to come on radio. She will not. Oh, no. She won't come on. Fauci won't come on. We, we try. Um, but we'll, I want to get into that in just a second. Uh, but I got to tell everybody out there to get themselves prepared and diversified a bit. The recent bank failures we've seen are the largest since 2008, but there could be more on the horizon. 
So if you've been on the fence thinking about buying gold and silver, now is the time to make the call. Gold and silver can be a protection for your portfolio. They can also be used as currency if all else goes to hell. So good stuff to have on hand. Now is the time to call the Oxford Gold Group and just hear what they have to say. The phone call is free. Securing your IRA or 401k with real gold and silver as a portfolio protection plan makes sense. Call Oxford Gold Group today. You can own real precious metals just like I do. Call the Oxford Gold Group. Ask about additional free bonus opportunities you could be eligible for as well. The phone number for the Oxford Gold Group, 833-404-GOLD. That's 833-404-G-O-L-D. Um, all right, Bridget, have, have people um, realized more than ever that they have to get involved with their children's education because they saw the Zoom teaching and they realized the schools were shut down, not as bad in Florida, obviously, as other places. Um, and, and has that resulted in a lot of I mean, do you talk to a lot of parents who are saying, look, you know, I love what you're doing with the school board, but what about charter schools? What about homeschooling, right? Alternative options to the system. How do you factor that into all this? Oh, that's a huge component. So two things. I, um, I think you have to consider we have over, I think it's 77% of America's children are educated in a public education institution. Now that does include charter schools because uh, they are public ed, they're publicly funded. Um, but school choice plays a pivotal role as well. You have both levers that need to be, you have to have somewhere for people to go. Um, so the monopoly is broken up. It, we still have a lot of work to do. But at the same time, you can't give up on the system that's educating 77% of you know, America's future. And so both play a role. And I think that what, having been at this for a while, um, you know, Erica Donald's, Congressman Donald's uh, wife, who's an amazing, she was initially a school board member. We call ourselves the OGs um, back in 2014. We're seeing this and yelling, like, have you guys seen what's going on? But conservatives weren't paying attention. You know, they were only paying attention up ballot. And those are important too, but unfortunately we've been asleep at the wheel. And so there's a lot of work to be done, but I think that um, making, you know, what happened at COVID is, is that people were alarmed. They say, Hey, I live in a nice, you know, my, my property values are high. My district's well rated, but this, so they didn't think any of this was happening in their, in their, in their district. It, all the, unbeknownst to them during COVID, they saw that. So a lot have stepped up. We saw amazing elections across 2022 as conservatives. We didn't see the red wave, but we did in school board elections across the country. I think New York's a great example how it actually impacts a ballot when things weren't on play. Keep an eye on Minnesota, which is woke, woke as that gets. There's a lot of action happening there. Watch California. I mean, where people are, just, these are parents that are just, they've had it. And this has nothing to do with you know traditionally conservatives. These are common sense issues that have just gotten too far. Um, and But we have, we have to have school choice at the same time because these are massive behemoth bureaucracies that are wound very tight. It's going to take some time to unravel them. And so our children don't get that time back. So there has to be other options. Homeschools growing exponentially has for a decade. And I can see why. Um, classical education, I'm a huge proponent of that. It's where my children are, are educated as well as Montessori. Um, all those models are, are dramatically different. Unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of private schools be captured by woke indoctrination as well. Um, and it comes down to just the accountability and people fighting back. People vote with their feet. If there's no enrollment, there's no money. And that's a quick way to change things. You know, I, I recently spoke to a, uh, another podcaster, uh, Chris Williamson. I don't know if you've ever seen his stuff. Um, he gets a, a lot of uh, play on particularly you know, TikTok, Instagram. Uh, where his podcast is Modern Wisdom, and, and he spoke to one of his guests was a, a, essentially a woman who specializes in uh, women's mental health and, and the issues that particularly 
young girls are facing these days, right? The, the, the data that he gave me on this was staggering. I mean, the, the number of girls who, who would consider themselves, and teenagers, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, who would consider themselves to be uh, clinically depressed or who would qualify as it, and even who have considered or attempted some form of self-harm, in this country, it's uh, staggering proportions and obviously deeply problematic. You're involved in education. You're a mom of three girls. What's going on with young women's mental health these days? Like, Why are so many girls in such a, a difficult place in this country? So we have to be very honest about what social media is doing to all of us, even as adults. But we have at least had the foundational aspect of going through the awkward time of adolescence. I remember high school, middle school, hated it. <laughs> I dealt with mean girls galore. I felt awkward. I mean, I would never want to go back. And I can't even imagine. That was before social media. I can't imagine how how, how much more amplified that is. And so it's a, just an awkward time. And then it's a time of, you know, trying to find yourself and figure yourself out. Um, and kids with, I mean, kids are kids, right? It's human nature. There's a, there's a growing part. You're going to be childish and what have you and mean and whatever, but you now it's there forever. And then on top of that, you have special interests like in, intentionally targeting these young minds at a very pivotal time, um, vulnerable time, particularly with the whole gender ideology trend that you're seeing it is in, it particularly impacting young girls. Um, so as a mom, my husband and I are, are very concerned about what we're seeing. Um, I know a handful of parents myself that their children at around thir- almost without question, it's always 13, 14, they go through it, um, where they're gender non-binary or questioning because it's kind of in vogue. It's a thing. It's also on social media and it's also, also massively protected and promoted it in, in public education. And to me, not only is the mental health part, we need to have, we need to, as, again, these are societal issues that it's not the school district's responsibility to fix these issues. They need to teach your kids. That's what they need to focus on. And, and our families and as a society, we need to do a better job of supporting the nuclear family and up, you know, lifting that up. It's important. It plays a pivotal role in the stabilization of your future. And not anything, everything's perfect, but we are seeing a massive dismantling of the nuclear family, of traditional values. And I think that that combined, there's a lot of lost aspects and then people seeking social media and not having normal conversations with, um, you know, the human to human connectivity is gone. So it's kind of all unraveling in a very negative aspect. And I think that the best way to do it is, I mean, as a school board member, I have been trying to see us um, ban, I like banning, I guess, getting rid of school uh, phones during school bell to bell. I just think that they should not be uh, available during campus because, they are a distraction and um, they're impediment to, we, we know they're addictive. We know that social media is a problem. We know that it's an impediment to their development, their cognitive development. And um, it also is pervasive in bullying yet. We are, mm. I, I, I can't win that one. I'm still working at it though, but when, I think we I all was, need to really peel back. When I was in, in grammar school, you, to make a call, you had to go to like the one phone in the building and it was, you know, did it, did it, did, 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 you know, you had the little the phone that we, I remember, like putting like a rotary phone, I guess, old school way. rotary mm-hmm. phone. Yeah, so that is very different now. I know with, with all the kids. I mean, you you mentioned um, the gender ideology component of everything. Is is that stuff just? I, I always hear. So we know that these different social media algorithms reflect 
back to people, both their likes, dislikes, and also tries to target them based on demographic, you know, age, location, things like that. And so, you know, they're, they're probably less likely to, you know, be, be showing like 50 year old guys or, you know, 60 year old women, a lot of gender ideology stuff. But on TikTok in particular, my understanding is they show it to kids. Is that like, you know, do you how do you police that? I mean, I, maybe that's not the right word, but how do you deal with the fact that there's what your kids are getting in the classroom? There's also the social media fire hose of, you know, gender isn't a real thing and all the other. We could talk about that forever. I mean, the only way I can see it is is parents really do need to understand that this is not a joke. It's not some little trend. It's not one thing like it's a fad. I mean, we have we're talking about literally the chemical castration of children, the sterilization. I mean, I've met with quite a few detransitioners who cannot have children. And for me as a mom, it just breaks, it breaks my heart. And I don't know how people can be supportive of this and the continuation of it and not see it for what it is. But, you know, as parents, and I feel, I feel for their parents too, because they're trying to find a way to support their child who's depressed. And then all of a sudden it's almost like this immediate affirmation that the medical um, industry has completely jumped on board and almost bully parents that if they, if they aren't immediately affirming that you have states like Minnesota and Idaho and Minnesota, California, for sure, that are, you know, safe havens and refugee places. Oregon, for, um, I believe is Oregon. now Oregon is now a safe haven. I think Washington state is as well for transition transitioners. <laughs> I think it's in, uh, I forget it's either Oregon or Washington state where now if you go to a shelter as a runaway out of state in state too, obviously, but there's no obligation to inform the parents if the transgender identity of the child, we're talking about kids here, um, is considered to be an issue for those parents. That's correct. And they won't, uh, they will not recognize any subpoenas from out of state. So if you're dealing with a family custody battle and one parent's okay with it and the other is not, if you go to those states, they will not recognize that. It's, it's again, we're, these are like, it's, we're an upside down world. If the people running the Biden campaign had any smarts, they'd be quick to subscribe to Chalk's male vitality stack. Would that campaign benefit from the testosterone replenishment? Sure would. Would they have the energy to get through a day, a week, a month, maybe? Well, not even with the strength and focus that comes with chalk, I think, with this Biden White House. But look, miracles aren't what we're asking for here, friends. We're looking for science. We're looking for what works. The patriots at chalk spent years formulating this daily supplement. Their formulations include all natural ingredients. The leading ingredient in chalk's male vitality stack has been proven to replenish 20% of deficient amounts of testosterone in three months time the biden campaign would benefit from that knowledge that's for sure everything chalk makes is lab tested twice for purity to ensure the potency is there if you're looking for more energy in your day more focus chalk's male vitality stack is the answer find it online at chalk.com that's c-h-o-q.com get 35 percent off the chalk subscription of your choice for life when you use my name buck in your purchase process that's chalk.com, C-H-O-Q.com, and use the name Buck. Well, I, I keep trying to tell people I, I don't like to focus on that issue. It's it's uncomfortable. Um, I think it starts to get more into the the theological and the demonic. I mean, that, this is, you know, I, I'd rather have conversations about, you know, creating economic prosperity and a secure border and, you know, less yeah. crime on the streets than getting into gender transitioning for 12-year-olds. Um, they make this the issue, though. It's very clear there's this agenda, not just in the school system, but all the way up 
to the Biden White House and and in state legislatures as well across the country. They keep pushing the issue further and further. And and I have to say, I I think what you will see at some point is uh, it'll be considered a really a form of abuse um, and child services will intervene against parents who don't or or parents, to your point about uh, custody issues, who do not want a child to transition. I agree. And so, listen, as a school board member, never did I think or get into this thinking this was going to be my issue. But sadly, over the course of time, and it's gotten more extreme. um, And, you know, I always say, I think Shapiro talks about like the slippery slope. We're at the bottom of the slope. (laughs) We are at the bottom of the slope. But and it's unfortunate, but it is very pervasive and it's continuously pushed very aggressively. Um, But more and more people are waking up to what's actually happening. Um, I think it's very important people have their eyes open and don't think that they're, it's, you know, it's only some group over here. If, if you think your children are safe from it, they're not, it's everywhere. But, um, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, I think that um, we, that I really do think that, that we see a handful of uh, trial lawyers coming, thankfully, who would have imagined kind of stepping up and, and causing charge to uh, medical clinics and different places. And so we're, I think that we're going to see a lot of litigation, particularly around class action suits. And that's, what's going to make this fall. And so be it, whatever it takes to make this fall and make this, the, the, the abuse that's happening to children. And when people look back, I think they're going to think, how could that have ever happened? Um, and it is unfortunate, but people need to take it seriously. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty pervasive. Yeah. And I know it's not very, I know there, I would like to talk about economics all day long or reading. You can talk about reading proficiencies. Um, it's so very important too, by the way. <laughs> so we need to make sure our children have more hope and, and are able to think up for themselves so they don't get down these um, rabbit holes when, when they feel hopeless. So Bridget, I want you to uh, tell everybody what you are up to, projects you have coming up so they can uh, continue to follow your work if they want to reach out to you. By the way, I'm sure there are some moms and dads who are thinking about maybe, you know, running, uh, running up the side of that mountain and joining the fight on the school board education issue. So what are you up to? Right. So um, I am the VP of uh, school board programs at Leadership Institute. So we created a school board program that I am training everyone from concerned citizens, activists, however you want to call yourself, um, or people who are running for office, helping them be effective. And then once they get elected, helping them hold the line because groupthink is pretty powerful when you talk about these massive establishments. And there really is only one training ground um, for school board, elected school board members. And that was under the National School Board Association, which called parents domestic terrorists. So you can understand why we found ourselves in the situation we're in. So um, it's something I'm very passionate about because when I was newly elected, it didn't feel like there was anywhere that really could help us with what we don't know what we don't know, but we wanted to serve our constituents in the best way possible. But taking that back is there's a lot of lovers when it comes to activism. So people can't leave once you get those people elected, making sure you don't leave them at the altar. We need members of the community to continue to support them. And we need to continue to have a pipeline of people stepping up because again, we've been asleep as conservatives for quite some time and the left has completely captured education. And we're seeing the byproduct of that um, pretty aggressively now in the workforce and even in the military and, and so on and so forth. And we need to take this very seriously. It starts with education, but the only people who can ultimately reclaim our education is our, us as parents and citizens. So we, we help train you. Bridget, great talking to you. Hope you'll come back soon. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for having me. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting our nation's first responders and veterans. Heroes who put their lives on the line for our communities and our country. Heroes like U.S. Army Major Jonathan Turnbull. Major Turnbull sustained devastating injuries at the hands of an ISIS suicide bomber. 
the complete loss of his left eye, a puncture to his right eye. He needed more than 20 surgeries and countless hours of rehabilitation. Tunnel to Towers paid off his mortgage and gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his needs. He moves around his home more easily now. His home also gives him hope. With help from people like you, the foundation supports families like the Turnbulls. Join Tunnel to Towers in supporting America's heroes, our nation's catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, homeless veterans, Gold Star families, and the families of fallen first responders. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 